Welcome to 721 Live. I'm Sam Hunter. I am glad that you've joined us today. Thank you for being with us. We are going to talk about the Beatitude, Blessed are the Peacemakers. Blessed are the Peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. That should get our attention, shouldn't it? We're going to get to that in just a moment. Let me first remind you that 721 Live is the radio arm of 721 Ministries. Go to our website, 721ministries.org, 721ministries.org. You can find out all about us, lots of things on that website, including past radio shows. And last week, as a Thanksgiving show, we talked about gratitude being the miracle drug. Gratitude being the miracle drug, sometimes I like to call it the nuclear option because when all else fails, gratitude is what works in our heart to solve whatever problems we have. Go back and check that out. You can find it on the website, 721ministries.org. You can also find a link to our sister website, puttinggreenblog.com. And on that website, puttinggreenblog.com, we've got our books and our weekly devotionals that we send out, which you can sign up for. So check us out at those websites. Now, we've been working our way through the Beatitudes, and we're coming towards the end of the Beatitudes. And we get to this point where Jesus said, says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. Now, that should get our attention. And remember that in the Beatitudes, we are seeing uh, Jesus is giving us a description of what life in the kingdom looks like, not a prescription. It's, he's not prescribing how we are to act to be blessed, to be called children of God. He's, show, he's showing us what it looks like in the kingdom. Remember this, whenever you're reading the Sermon on the Mount, and quite frankly, everything that Jesus talks about is in the context of we live in the kingdom. The kingdom is available now. You can go to heaven now. You can start living in the kingdom in this world today. And when you view it through that perspective, it makes so much more sense. Outside of that perspective, a lot of what he says could just be taken as nice platitudes, but they don't work. Not in the real world. Well, the kingdom of God is the real world. And the more you remind yourself that you live in the kingdom of God the more you will understand what Jesus is saying. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. So I asked the men these three questions about this. Do you have to be peaceful, full of peace, to be a peacemaker? Then I decided to edit that question and say, do you have to be peaceful, full of peace, to be motivated to be a peacemaker? I want you to think about that because I'm going to build the case today that if you're going to be motivated to be a peacemaker, you're going to have to be full of peace yourself. That is, what I'm, that's the, that is the teaching lesson for today. To be full of peace will drive you to be a peace, compel you to be a peacemaker. So the second question, what is the difference between a peacekeeper and a peacemaker? Think about that for a moment. What is the difference between a peacekeeper and a peacemaker? And then thirdly, was Jesus a peacemaker? He was called the Prince of Peace. But he said himself in Matthew 10, 34, I've not come to bring peace but a sword. 
And then he goes on to say, if you love your father or mother more than me. See, he's, the sword is not what he's bringing intentionally to cause unpeace or conflict. It's that him coming is naturally going to cause that because some are going to tr- put their trust in him and follow him and others are not. And that's going to create conflict. Was Jesus a peacemaker? I would answer that he is, was, is a peace creator. And then the peacemaker follows from being having the peace that he creates. And only he can create in us. Remember, in John 14, 1, he says, the peace, My peace I give to you. My peace. Not as the world gives. Not the peace that you get from the world. Because, quite frankly, you cannot get peace from the world. You can get a little bit here and there, little glimpses, but no. Only what Jesus has for us. So let me just start off with why this is so important. In John 17, 20, in Jesus' last night with his disciples in his high priestly prayer, John 17, 20, my prayer is not for them alone, his disciples. I pray also for us, for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. All of them may be one. Father, Just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, listen to the reason, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. It seems pretty evident that if we are not living in peace and harmony with each other as followers of Jesus, the world is going to see that and say, why would I be interested in that? And quite frankly, we've seen that lived out over the centuries. Why would I? Look at the Christians. They can't even get along. They'd split another church. They're all mad at each other. Why would I want to be invested in that, involved in that? So I want to build this idea of first that we must be filled with peace and therefore we would be motivated to be peacemakers. And I want to give you an interesting concept. I was listening to a, a, a man, a speaker, and, and I, I'm sorry I cannot remember his name. I didn't write it down. I should have. But he talked about phantom pain because he deals with a lot of uh, soldiers who have lost limbs. And as you know about phantom pain, if you've lost a limb, you can actually feel pain in that limb and you no longer have that limb. You can feel pain in your leg and you don't even have that leg. And he was talking about our, our sense of and our desire for peace. And he said, you see, to have phantom pain, you have to have lost something that you had. And we have a phantom pain for peace. And it's because we were originally designed for a relational and physical paradise. In the Garden of Eden, in our relationship with our Heavenly Father, walking in the cool of the evening, we were designed to have a relational and physical paradise, a life of peace. And we've lost that. And we carry a phantom pain inside of us desiring peace. You know, the Hebrew word for shalom, most of us would say, well, that that word means peace, but it means so much more than that. It's way more than just an absence of danger or an absence of conflict. It means fullness, completeness, everything that would bring about life to the full that Jesus said he came to give us. Hebrew, shalom, peace, but so much more. Greek, peace, The word is Irene, E-I-R-E-N-E. It's the root word for our English word, serene. Serenity, peace. And in this Greek word, it, it carries with it the additional sense of to join together. To join together. 
Anxiety, by the way, in the Greek means to pull apart, to, to separate, to pull apart. Isn't it interesting that peace in the Greek means to join together? And when you use this in relation to man to man or man to God, it's about bringing together. So that's where we're going to start. And, and since we've been going through the Beatitudes, I want to list the Beatitudes that we've studied, and you tell me which of these aids in being a peacemaker, helps us in being a peacemaker. We started with poor in spirit, then mourning, meek, being meek, hungering and thirsting, thirsting for right relationships, righteousness, merciful, pure in heart. Which of those helps, aids, in being a peacemaker, being full of peace yourself? Well, if you go back through them, they all do. And I don't think it's all it's by accident. Jesus is building through the Beatitudes what life in the kingdom looks like. And we reach this point of blessed are the peacemakers, not just peacekeepers, not just peaceful, but peacemakers. But I contend that to be motivated to be a peacemaker, which is a proactive thing, Peacekeeping is semi-proactive and semi-passive. But to be a peacemaker, you're stepping out. But to do that, you must, I'm going to make the case, you must first be filled with peace, so much so that you don't want anyone, you don't want to see conflict between anyone, between other people, between other people and, and your Heavenly Father, that they don't know Him, that they're not living at peace with Him, they don't know Jesus. To be full of peace will compel you to be a peacemaker. So I want to start with this idea of being full of peace. And we, I'm going to start with Philippians 4, 4. I'm going to read it through, and then I'm going to tease it out for just a few thoughts on it. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, Present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Let me just break this down. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. I'm going to say it twice, Paul says, because I want you to get this. Rejoice. You know, in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, he says, be joyful. Can we be joyful? Is it a choice? You might think being joyful is a feeling, but no. Being joyful is a choice. And how do we be joyful? Well, we continue to read through this and see how the Holy Spirit is telling us. Be joyful in the Lord always. I will say it again. Be joyful. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. That sounds a lot like, like the Beatitudes we just read, doesn't it? Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Now, I started this, this show today by talking about we live in the kingdom of God, that Jesus' perspective was that we are in the kingdom. You can live in the kingdom now with a perfectly powerful, a perfectly loving, a perfectly present king. And here at the Holy Spirit through Paul says, the Lord is near. You live in the kingdom. He's right here. This is how we are moving towards being joyful. Do not be anxious about anything. Do not be pulled apart by anything, but in everything. By prayer and petition, with thanksgiving. Why does he keep putting with thanksgiving into everything he says? Paul is over 
overwhelmed, it seems. He, can, he is almost redundant. He keeps adding to everything he says with thanksgiving. Be thankful with thanksgiving. Present your request to God. What does the thanksgiving have to do with this? Do not be anxious about anything but in everything. Take it to your heavenly Father. Prayer, that would be your sharing your concerns. Petition is asking him for things. But do it with thanksgiving. And therefore, present your request to God. See, is there any mention in here of what to do if, if God is not going to respond to your prayers? Is there any mention? Does Jesus ever give us any counsel on, on, on plan B when we lift up our prayers to our Heavenly Father and he's not going to hear them and he's not going to respond to them? Is there any mention of that anywhere? No. You're thanking your Heavenly Father as you present your request because you know he's listening. You know he's near. You know he's listening, and you know he will respond perfectly. It's when Jesus, in our show last week, when Jesus was getting ready to raise Lazarus from, out of the tomb from the dead in John 11, and he said, I want to thank you, Father. And he said, now, I want to thank you because you hear me. Now, I'm just saying that for these people. I know that you always hear me. I want them to know that you always hear me. We give that thanksgiving in advance because we know he's going to respond. And then, therefore, we have the peace of God. He's near. He's going to respond. And now we have the peace of God, which transcends all understanding. And this will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This will guard. The Greek word there is garrison. It'll build a fort around your heart and your mind. A fort of peace. A garrison of peace. And nothing can get in there. Nothing can penetrate when you have that peace of God. See, I talk about often about guardrails, setting up guardrails to protect us from things that are constant temptations, areas where we constantly fail. It could be temptations. It could be things like lust. It could be things like anger and resentment. It could be gluttony. It could be, as we've said in the past, sloppy or sinful, but whatever it is, is dirt in the carburetor, setting up these guardrails. And I will contend that peace, being full of peace, having the peace of God is the ultimate guardrail. When I'm giving my thanks and I'm being joyful, that creates this unbelievable peace, this peace of God to where I can now say, no, you know what, no thanks, I'm full. No thanks, I'm full. Yes, I used to get upset about that. I used to resent that. I used to carry that with me, that, that resentment or that anger or that lack of forgiveness. No, you know what? I'm just too full of peace to have that inside of me anymore. That used to tempt me, that lust or that greed or whatever it was. That used to, you know what? I don't want that anymore. I'm too full for that. I, I maintain that's the best guardrail you could ever have, to be full of peace to where you are protected. I want you to create in your image a a fort, and you're inside that fort, and insults are trying to get in, and temptations are trying to get in, troubles are trying to get in, fear and anxiety and anger and lust, they're all banging against that garrison, and they cannot get in because you are surrounded by peace, and you're full of peace. The kind of question of what if this happens? That gives me a lot of anxiety, doesn't it, you? What if that happens? That can't get in. How will I? That cannot get in. So as we are more and more filled with peace, the peace of God, 
As Jesus said, the peace I give you, John 14, 1, is the peace I give you, not the peace the world gives you. You'll never get any peace that way. But the peace I give you, I become so full of peace that I, I now have an aversion to anything that is countering peace. And so I'm compelled to be a peacemaker. See, to be a peacemaker and to be called a child of God because you're a peacemaker, that's not an easy thing to do for a variety of reasons. But when you are so saturated with peace yourself, you're going to become so sensitive to conflict, sensitive to broken relationships, that you'll be compelled to be a peacemaker. And I'm going to give you four categories. Because when we talk about hungering and thirsting for righteousness, those are visceral words, aren't they? Hungering and thirsting for righteousness. And we, we say that the better, best way to think about that is righteousness in terms of a right relationship with God, with others, with yourself, and with creation. If I am so full of peace myself within that garrison, then I, I am at peace with my Heavenly Father. And I will be at peace with others. And I will be at peace with myself. To take it the next step, I will want others to be at peace. I will have an aversion to anything that counters peace, anything that destroys peace, that creates conflict. So when I have friends, people that I know, that I know are not at peace with God, they don't know my Heavenly Father like I know Him. They don't know Jesus like I know Him. And that compels me to try to help them know him so that they can live with the peace that I live with. You know, I have two friends who do similar ministry to what I do, and I asked them recently, are you more compelled to do what you do and to do what I do for people's salvation or for them to know Jesus? as we have come to know him and hope to know him even more. What, what, what compels you more? And all three of us said, it's not salvation. It's for them to know Jesus. Now, part of that may be that we know salvation is not, that's not our deal. That's, that's up to God. But that doesn't negate that I am compelled for you to know Jesus as I have, have come to know him. I want you to know my best friend. I want him to be your best friend. I want God to not be God to you. I want him to be your heavenly father. So when I see someone who doesn't understand that and therefore is in conflict with God, in conflict with Jesus, I, I feel compelled to say, I, you don't know him. You don't know him, and I want you to know him. So I'm full of peace, and I'm at peace with my Heavenly Father, with Jesus my Savior, and therefore I'm compelled to bring someone else into that peaceful state, to bring them into that peaceful relationship. God, others. If I see two people in conflict, and I want them, it hurts my heart to see them in conflict then I'm not just going to be a peacekeeper. I'm going to be a peacemaker. I'm going to reach out and try to help them resolve it. Because I'm so full of peace that I have this aversion to seeing other people out of whack. How about myself with others? 
If I have a broken relationship with someone, does it bother me to the point where I'm compelled to be a peacemaker, even if in my mind they're at fault? Even if in my mind I haven't done anything wrong. They're the ones, why, why would I reach out? Well, I'm compelled to try to harmonize that relationship, to try to bring peace to that relationship. There's an interesting passage in Colossians 3 about forgiveness. And it ties into this because everywhere else in the New Testament, all of Jesus' words, when he says forgive, he uses the Greek word, or it is written in Greek anyway, aphiemi. And that means to release, which starts to make sense when you think about Jesus saying at the end of the Lord's Prayer, if you do not forgive others, your Heavenly Father will not forgive you. Well, that cannot be true because we're already forgiven. He means in the sense if you don't release others, they no longer owe you anything. You're not holding something against them. Then your Heavenly Father can then release you from the prison you put yourself in. But he won't do it if you won't do it. Everywhere you see it's aphiemi, release. But in Colossians 3, it's a different Greek word, karazomei. And it means to not just forgive, but restore. I'll start with Colossians 3, verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, this is so relational. Listen, this is so relational. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. You're going to have to have that to go to the next step. Bear with each other and forgive. Charismay. Forgive and restore whatever grievances you have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Charismay. Restore. Release and restore as the Lord released and restored you. Now, if I've got someone who has something against me, and maybe it is my fault, or maybe I'm partly responsible for it, Most of the time, I'm pretty sure I'm not. You're probably the same as me. But even if they clearly are in the wrong, what's it going to take for me to reach out and reconcile the relationship, restore the relationship, be a peacemaker? Well, it's going to take clothing myself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. That's the only way I'm going to be able to charisma any relationship. I reached out to a a friend years ago. He sort of considered me to be the man that Jesus had used to bring him closer to Jesus. And I I saw him several times, and he he was very cold to me. I mean, he, he was pleasant, but it was very cold. It was nothing like the warm hugs that we used to give each other. And after about you know, the first time I thought, well, whatever, I didn't, whatever. And then the second time and the third time and then the fourth time I thought, wait, something's wrong. Something's not right in this relationship. Now, I thought I knew what it was that he was mistaken about. He, 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 he thought I had done something or said something, and I had not. I was speculating. But part of me wanted to say, well, the heck with it. I don't need him. And it's not fair to talk to, to treat me that way after all I've done for him. But the Holy Spirit inside wouldn't let me do that. The Holy Spirit inside said, you must reach out. I want you to reach out, Sam, and Carol's a may. I want you to be a peacemaker. So I called him. And I didn't 
think he would answer the phone, and he did not answer the phone. But in my voicemail, I said, I'd like to talk to you. I, I, I know that there's something wrong between us. There's something out of whack between us, and I'd like to fix it. If I've done something wrong, I'd like to have the chance to apologize. And if I can make it right, make it right. If it's something that I don't, that I don't really think I have done, I'd like to be able to clear the air. I didn't get a call back. But that comes back into a few couple of verses we'll look at in just a minute that we are to, if, if possible, Romans 8, 12. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. If it is possible. It's not always possible. But it's always possible for me to, be, to attempt to be a peacemaker. But I'm only going to have that drive to overcome my own sense of he's insulted me or she's insulted me or this isn't right or I haven't been treated right or this, what, what the heck with them? Let, them? let them go off. I don't need them anyway. Well, if I live in the kingdom and I'm compelled by the peace with which the heavenly, my Heavenly Father has lavished me, then I'm going to be compelled to reach out, motivated to reach out and be a peacemaker. And remember Jesus' words, for they shall be called children of God. I can imagine my Heavenly Father looking down and saying, that's my boy. You tried. Or if I were successful in any situation, that's my boy. That's my boy right there. I'm so proud of you for trying, for doing that. Or that's my girl. She did that even in spite of. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. Okay, so I wanted to sort of finish up with this idea. Number one, peaceful, to be full of peace. That's the first step. That's the first step. In Colossians 3.15, which we kept reading in Colossians 3, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Rule in your hearts. Reign in your hearts. I am, I am to be so full of peace. Peace is the rule, and anything that violates that rule, no, we can't have that. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, since as members of one body you were called to peace. Peaceful is the first step. Peacekeeper is the next step. Ephesians 4.3, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. As we read a minute ago, Romans 8, 12, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. One of my men in the 721 meeting said, I'd like to flip that around and say, as far as it depends on me, when it is possible, live at peace with everyone. And then being the peacemaker, that's the big step. Peaceful is the first step. Peacekeeper is the next step. Peacemaker is the big step. James 3.18, peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. My friend, I want you to pursue that peace within you so that you can then be so full that you are compelled to be a peacemaker. I'm Sam Hunter, and this is 721 Live. So long, God's peace to you. I hope to see you next Friday.